in my man cave when we finish our basement. Probably confused and probably laughing. Or Ryan Reynolds, right? <laughs> so happy for you. Never in sports history have we seen such angst taken out on footwear. We went there, we're done, and uh, now we move on. This is awesome. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation. Interviews and insight from this week in Cougar Sports. Every Saturday, only on BYU Radio. To lead off, here's the double coverage interview of the week. Last night, first week of the NFL regular season, Monday night. That means two games, so the second typically involves the Raiders. It feels like that. It was at, uh, what, the Oakland Alameda Coliseum? Is that the name of it? Oakland Uh, Alameda, we aren't leaving. Oh, wait, we are in one year Coliseum. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And uh, to help us discuss that and taste mail in BYU football is a former Raider, four-year NFL vet, David Nixon, who's looking dapper, getting ready for AFR. How you doing, David? Hey, feels great to be back uh, here in the studio talking football. Yeah, and I mean, it's the first time back in the studio, right? This year, it's been a minute. It's been a minute. It's, it's been, been since summertime. Yeah, let's talk about what it's like to play on the dirt. And you oh tweeted about gosh. this last Your night. Your tweet was eye-opening last night. Honestly, it's the truth. I mean, first, I, I, I copied after Justin Forsett, who, if you saw his tweet, he mentioned. I thought it was really funny. He's like, if you want to know what it feels like to play on that dirt, run outside, run down the street. Full speed and then jump on the on the street, the pavement as hard as you can. That's what it feels like laying on that dirt. <laughs> and and I chimed in. I go, that's it's true. I mean, it's literally they. From what my understanding, the field crew comes in and they scrape off the excess dirt on the on the infield. Why? Uh, I, I'm not sure. I don't know if it's because of maybe it, when it gets uh, you know dew on it or wet. I don't know what it is, but I know they scrape it off so because it's not muddy. Maybe maybe that of sorts. Maybe it gets messy and, and it ruins the dirt per se. Maybe it's special dirt. I don't know, but I know it's true in the sense that it is literally just rock solid. And you and when you stand out there with your cleats, you're on ice skates. And so when I watch guys get down three point stands to try to rush the quarterback, I, I know I remember how it is because we used to do punt returns and everything where you're trying to tee off and get off and you don't have great footing. And then on top of that, when you start tackling on it, I mean, I still feel like I have burns from those days whenever I was landing on that. It was, it was brutal. And so, uh, I mean, props to those guys. It's funny because all Raiders players, they root against the A's every opportunity they get. <laughs> because the sooner the A's get done with their season, the sooner they get the grass put on the infield. I don't understand. Like, like field turf has come so long. Why can't you put some sort of uh, almost like a little patch of whether it's turf or something to fill that in? Jason, you obviously haven't been to the stadium. They're not investing a dime in that place. Oh, oh yeah. No, it's a, a dime. Like, no, it's so yeah, bad. But this no. isn't just because they're not going. It, this has always been that way. Yeah, listen, when we'd walk from our, our locker room, so our home locker room down to the field, no kidding, we would step over like sewer water. Oh, like by the stairs, we like had to like kind of we, we kind of hop over. It, basically, it was it was absolutely yeah. disgusting. So I ha- I don't fault the Raiders for wanting to move at all because uh, that place is a mess. Just win, baby. <laughs> Just win because you can't have anything else. Let's talk about the Saints. Your brother-in-law Taysom Hill catches a touchdown Man. pass last night. That was pretty cool in a fun win for the Saints. Yeah, huge win for the Saints. I mean, uh, yeah, that, that was exciting. Taysom talked all offseason that. Uh, Sean Payton and Drew Brees had talked to him and said, listen, we expect you to be more involved as offense, more than he was last year. Um, and so he was prepared going into it, and uh, we chatted with him after the game, and that play was supposed to go to Michael Thomas. It was supposed to be a pick route, basically. Um, but it was funny because once Taysom cleared the, the corner, once the corner decided to go with Michael Thomas, and he had two-on-one on Thomas, you saw Taysom kind of throw his arms up in the air and be like, I'm open! <laughs> and, and if you watch it close, Michael Thomas also points, and he recognized the double coverage on him. So Michael Thomas going to the end zone, he points at Taysom for Drew. Like 
Drew Brees needs like, all this Throw it to him, yeah. Like, oh, should I throw it there? Oh, here? Okay. Yeah, yeah, it helps, right? <laughs> uh, but uh, he jumped up and got the ball. And it was fun to see the celebration between Drew and Taysom afterwards. Uh, because you think about Taysom, most of Taysom's touchdowns are off the zone read and or, you know, tucking the ball, whatever it may be. But Taysom and Drew be, have, have become great friends to the point where they text, they go on vacations together. Um, and so I think that was a fun moment for both of them to share. Monday Night Football opening game. He kept uh, the ball, too. Yeah, which that. you should, yeah. Keep yeah. that ball. Always, always yeah. keep the ball. Did you keep a ball? Uh, I didn't score a touchdown, so no. Um, you didn't just grab one? Yeah, just, just grab one <laughs> on the way out. Somebody else's ball. They probably aren't having them out there plenty. They probably need to keep all of them since they're saving so much money. The Patriots <laughs> are just out there for anyone to grab, right? Yeah, just <laughs> some are more inflated than others, yeah. All right, let's focus on BYU football. What did you learn from the Cougars with the win at Tennessee? I tell you what, I... I love this win. I love it more than if it would have been a blowout because I think this team needed a close game like this. I think they needed a game where they had to fight, scratch, and claw and pulled out the end in the fashion they did. Um, if you look back on, on Kalani's era and, and specifically now Zach Wilson from last year to this year, they haven't been able to pull through a lot of these games in the clutch moments. Yeah, you've had a few Hail Marys and things like that, but going back to Boise State last year, we in on the two-yard line, couldn't punch it in for the game winner. And so I think something like this, a game like this, where they're able to come down and have a miracle play and then a regulation assignment and then really pound it out in overtime and kind of enforce their will on Tennessee – I think that is going to prove to be uh, huge for this team as far as a confidence uh, manner goes. Because I think up till now, when they got into tight situations, I think those the floods of memories of past years have come into into mind, and uh, they know that they've you know haven't been able to rise to the occasion. But this year, in that type of win, I mean, it, it will it will be huge for them to build on that for the weeks to come. Because when they find themselves in a similar situation, down double digits, uh, they can now say, "Listen, we just did it last week, guys. Let's go. You know, let's let's put this thing together and start rolling." So. Um, I, that's what I learned about this team. They, they've got more grit in them than, than maybe I, I, uh, I expected of them. Um, but it's fun to see now that they've, they've got that confidence and hopefully they can build upon that because there's no doubt they're going to find themselves in the same situation throughout the season. And now they can finally, you know, like I said, point back and say, been there, done that. 28 points in regulation in two games. Probably not going to cut it against USC. So do you expect BYU to take a jump and be more explosive this week against a, a better opponent in USC? Yeah, you have to. You have to You have to be more explosive. And I think this offense is still trying to figure out their way a little bit. You saw against um, Utah where Zach was scrambling a lot more. He was out of the pocket trying to create and make plays. And Tennessee, I think the coaching staff said, listen, just take care of the ball. Don't turn the ball over like you did against Utah, um, and, and we'll win this thing. Um, and that didn't really prove to be the case until late in the fourth quarter in overtime. And so they've got to find wherever that happy medium is. Can you, what, do you, what do you have to do to get, um, to get Zach out and going? I think, personally, from when I watch the film and, and look at Zach, I think he gets his excitement, his mojo, from creating a little bit. Yeah, he could probably rear it back a little bit, not rush every play, obviously, um, and stay in the pocket a little longer. But they've got to find the happy medium of, of getting him out of the pocket, getting him moving, as well as making him stay in there and, and throw the ball. So so I think the, the, a great recipe for Zach Wilson in this offense is exactly what New Orleans did yesterday. I think it wasn't until the end of the fourth, until the long bomb from Breeze uh, to, uh, Kimmer, I think it was Ted Ginn, that they, Drew Brees hadn't attempted a ball over 20 yards mm. at that point. I think BYU needs to take that same type of uh, recipe and apply it to this team in the sense that we've seen what Micah Simon, you know, last game I think all he did was catch first downs. <laughs> but, you know, five, six, seven-yard hitch routes and try to let the big guys make moves, quick guys like Simon make moves, um, and, and, and not try to extend the ball too far down the field. But against athletic defense like USC, 
uh, you're not going to be able to stretch them vertically. Those guys got, have more speed than BYU. But where you can beat them is hopefully the under routes, some rub routes, some confusion, um, and, and you try to pick up yards that way. And I think you just kind of methodically work your way down the field uh, and do what, what the Saints did last night, and that is just kind of dink and doink it down the field. Over the last couple of seasons, BYU seems to have more success on the road in the, against those, te- those types of teams and in those situations than they do at home. Why do you think that is? I don't know. I, I wish I had an answer. I think they wish they had an answer because, uh, listen, there's no question. When you're on the road, there's less distractions, right? I mean, you're, you're not having to worry about school. You're done with school. You're, you're on the road, and it's, you're focused on your team. Sometimes when you're at home on Friday, you're running, rushing to class to you know, do a te- take a test at a testing center or whatever it may be. Um, and then family can sometimes come into play there. Uh, but this team, you're no question. We look at the big wins. Last year, also, Wisconsin on the road. Uh, this year, now on the road. Um, and they mentioned that. I think Zach Wilson mentioned that last week as well. So for some reason, they excel on the road. But they've got to figure it out at home because yeah. at the end of the day, you've got to, you've got to protect Lavelle's house. And, and that's something they've got to take pride in and find a way to win here at home. But, um, yeah, it's, it's an interesting trend that's occurring. I don't like the trend. I, I, I like that they're winning, but I like that trend also be here at home where they can uh, you know, go undefeated here at home. It'd be weird if BYU didn't defend home turf in the first four and their only win was on the road in yeah. Tennessee. That'd be weird, right? Um, uh, let's get your comments on uh, some depth chart news with Zane Anderson moving back to free safety. And then Chaz Ayu is the starter at flash linebacker. Yeah, Chaz played a fantastic game against Tennessee. I loved what I saw from Chaz. He did a great job, not only in coverage, uh, but also coming up and forcing the run. Zane, there's no question. I think his shoulder still bothered him, it looks like. Uh, and I think that's why they're kind of moving back there. So he doesn't have to be in the box and doesn't have to take hits and blows every play. Um, but I like what, what Chaz is doing. He's developing. I think he'll only get better and better as a linebacker, um, as he converts to that linebacker spot. Uh, but uh, I, I like moving Zane back. I mean, the good thing about Zane now is he's had work at safety. He's had work at backer, now he's going back to safety. And so he has a pretty good feel of the entire defense as a whole. Um, he knows what, you know, where guys are going to be, and he can kind of be that field general from the back end. So um, it's, it's only positive for this BYU defense. And that's what the first couple of games are for. The coaches are sitting back looking and saying, we got to get our best 11 on the field. And obviously they looked at Chaz and they said, he's one of our best 11, so let's get him on the field. In order to do that, we've got to move Zane back to safety and, uh, and, and make him produce there. So um, I think it's a good move. We'll, we'll see how it plays out on Saturday, obviously. If you had any questions about USC after week one, those were certainly answered in week two. Oh, man. Defeating and, and just manhandling Stanford. They're legit. Everyone's talking about their offense. Everybody's, and as they well should, everyone's talking about their true freshman quarterback, Slovis. He's a young quarterback, even though he's not playing like a young quarterback. What can BYU do defensively to try and disrupt him? Yeah, it's, it's all about throwing different looks at him. You've got to keep him on his heels a little bit. You've got to be able to bring, you know, we've seen the three down line that BYU likes to run with. But then we saw in that Tennessee game, BYU started to rush five guys and they'd bring him in from the safety position, from the backer position. Um, and, and I think pre-snap alignment with a freshman quarterback and showing him a, a three, four look or showing him a blitz look um, and then bailing or then coming, you, you've, got, you've got to throw different things at him because if not, he obviously has the arm. And I think most importantly, he has the weapons. If you watch those receivers, this is by far the best receiver core BYU faced all year. Not even no close. No doubt. Yep. Um, and, and, and so with him, for, uh, as a quarterback, all you've, do, all you've got to do with those guys is just throw it up and literally they go up and catch it. Um, and he's able to do safe throws. But I think defensively you've got to get different looks. We've seen that BYU doesn't love to pressure and it's okay. I mean, you look through the first two weeks, BYU's defense has held their own. And, and yeah, it's not flashy. It's not the, it's not the t- type of defense where we're getting five, six sacks a game, but it's effective and it's working. And so I, I think uh, they stick with what they're doing, but I think you just have to switch it up a little bit. Uh, and, and like I said, give them a lot of different looks. When the ball comes out as fast as it does with the air raid, 
why would you why would you blitz? Like it, it just makes sense not to against USC. So when you face teams like the Air Raid, defensively what you do is is you realize you're most likely you're not gonna get home. You're not gonna get to the quarterback. So this week what they'll be practicing is rushing, taking two or three steps and look at the quarterback and finding out where he's he's looking, where he's where he's going. And then you settle and you try to get your hands up. And you're trying to find ways to disrupt, disrupt their passing lanes. Uh, because, yeah, it's very rare you're going to get home whenever the ball's getting out within two or three seconds. Uh, but you can't get your hands up, and, and you got a guy like Devin Kafusi, big dude, that can get up and knock balls down. So. In the second half. Yeah. He'll be out for the first half with yeah. targeting. With targeting, that's right. right. Yeah. Uh, before we let you go, David, a little breaking news coming in. BYU Sports Nation breaking news. BYU and Boise State have announced a new 10-game series that will take place between 2025 and 2034. The first game in the series scheduled for October 25th, uh, 2025 in Boise. The series will alternate venues each year. It appears that 24 BYU and Boise State won't play. The contract currently goes through 23. Uh, Also, BYU has announced a game with Southern Utah scheduled for November 18th, 2023. So the FCS uh, opponent at Southern Utah jumps up a level. Uh, David Nixon, what's your reaction to the Boise State series continuing for the foreseeable future? That means I'll be almost 50 years old whenever they end this this contract. Uh, No, I I love it. Listen, I I think uh, this has definitely become a rivalry close to Utah, not as close, you know, not not on the same level, but uh, I think it's BYU's next closest rival. Um, And and all those games have been close as well. And I think Boise State fans love it. I think BYU fans love it. So to extend out this rivalry is the right thing to do. Um, And uh, it's exciting. I mean, BYU needs to pick off some wins, obviously, against Boise State to, to make it even more competitive. But, um, you know, you look, at the, you look at the past few years, and it's similar to Utah, where it's all usually within a one or two possession game. So great news. I, I think the more Tom Homo can get those kind of robberies in place uh, and then, of course, go out and, and put in other games like a Tennessee and USC's uh, makes this whole independence you know, schedule pretty intriguing. Well, we look forward to after further review tonight, 7 Eastern on the app, and then tomorrow morning as well on BYU TV. Always fun to break down wins, that's for sure. This will be, this will be a fun show for sure. Absolutely. Thanks, David. Yeah, thanks, guys. That was one of our favorite interviews this week. You're listening to the best of BYU Sports Nation. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation on BYU Radio. Listen, if there is a key to winning a big game at home, you have to figure that the game changer will certainly be coming with the student section. And yes, they can be a literal game changer, whether at the Smithfield house, whether they're packing South Field and adding turbulence to Lavelle Edwards Stadium. But how does BYU's student section prepare for that disruption at each event? Lauren McLean spoke with the president and vice president of The Rock to get the inside scoop on how to prepare for the madness. Let's go Between the Lines. BYU Sports Nation presents Between the Lines. What's up, guys? How's it going? Good. Good. Thanks for being here with us. And you said what's up, guys, and I said good. So can you read me that part, too? <laughs> All right, what's up, guys? Good. How are you? You said good. What's up is fine. <laughs> What does a typical game day look like for you guys? For football, we're out there in the morning setting up things like pom-poms, t-shirts, if we're giving giving away any of those at the game. And then after that, it's just getting ready for the Rock Cave and then uh, then the game itself. What does volleyball look like for you guys? Yeah, you know, what we do is we pass out signs to distract the opposing team. um, And then pretty much throughout the game, just chanting, 
uh, getting in the players' heads, the opposing players' heads. For football, what do you guys do during the game? We have turbulence. That's one of the traditions that we have. Uh, we're also leading out with the chance as well. Um, so like when we do BYU around, we're involved with that, with the cheerleading team. In the usual, being in the student section, you got to be heckling the players in a respectful manner, of course. Yeah, yeah. Is it hard sometimes getting students to do what you want them to do? Yeah, towards the end of the game, it can sometimes be a little bit more difficult because they're getting tired. But honestly, we have great students that, that are there and they're hyped. So you mentioned traditions like power, turbulence. Yeah. Randall's, yeah. the Y claps. Yeah. How did you, where'd you guys get those? A lot of those traditions have come from Rockport of the past, um, as well as collaborating with sports marketing, um, athletic marketing. We try and start different traditions. Some of them stick, some of them don't, but things like the Y clap, people really liked. We started that a couple years ago. It, those are just things that we've tried out in the past. The students and the fans enjoy those things, and so we just keep doing them. What would you say has been the fan favorite. Honestly, I think the combination of power and turbulence uh, together, when we do those together, yeah. this year Cosmo has this new stand in the middle of the field and, and everybody gets pretty hyped for those. What would you say you pride yourselves on this year with The Rock? We were trying to revolutionize the way that our pregame experience is for BYU fans. Hmm. Um, so you do have Cougar Canyon for you know anybody that's coming to the game yeah but the rock cave specifically is it's exclusive to a rock pass holder every week we're going to be doing something new and so that's something that we're really priding ourselves in so the next home game is usc for football what do you guys have planned for that game well we don't really want to give it away yet but i mean we've had talks of dunk tanks uh foosball tables and those might not be there for usc but maybe for future games but yeah we're going to be switching it up at the rock cave every week what do you think separates byu the Rock from other student sections around the country. You know, I think I think one of the things that sets us apart most is the fact that BYU students and members of The Rock come from all over the country. So we've got students from all over that bring their culture, their traditions, their experiences to BYU and to The Rock. I want you to look at that camera and give people your best pitch on why they should join The Rock. Honestly, The Rock has been the best part of my experience here at BYU. I've created so many memories that I will look back on for years that I'll tell my grandkids about. It's hard to be at a university with 35,000 students and not feel like you're a part of something. And being a part of the student section, um, that's something that will allow you to do that. Between the Lines with Lauren McLean and the roar of Cougars student section. Have you had a George Randall, by the way? I have not had a George Randall. I know that Code Red Mountain Dew or something like that is in it. I, I don't know. I try and stay away from things that are red, so it's just <laughs> me personally. <laughs> Although two of my teams, Chiefs and St. Louis Cardinals, wear red. So. <laughs> yeah, what, what's up? I was meaning to ask you about that a while ago. I'm like, how, how does this work, the Chiefs and the Cardinals? Yeah, I don't know. Conversation for another day. It's one of those things I just work out as I go. Okay. The best of BYU Sports Nation will be back after this on BYU Radio. Get caught up in the week in Cougar Sports. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation. Our next guest is a senior defender 
from Salt Lake, uh, who played at Jordan, and will cross the 5,000-minute mark in career minutes played. Her name is Alyssa Jefferson. Alyssa, welcome to BYU Sports Nation for the first time in studio. Yeah, I'm excited. Never done it. It's great to have you here. Um, This is a huge matchup. I know you guys have been looking forward to it. You took care of Utah last week. You've had all week to think about this. How's practice been, and what's the mood right now? Really good. We've been thinking about this game actually longer because they beat us last year, and so it's been a long time coming. We knew we were playing them at home this year, and so... I don't know. You always focus one match at a time, but this is definitely one we've been looking forward to. Um, everything's been really good. A lot of fun. Everyone's ready to go. Well, you guys are 4-0. You're ranked 10th in the country. The answer is probably a lot of things, but <laughs> what is working so well right now out on the field? It helps when we can return a lot of players. So our whole back line came back, which is nice, not starting from square one. Um, Cam and Elise had the opportunity to play with the Royals over the summer, and so they've had their connection going like – I think just continuing to play together, keeping that fluid from last season all the way to the season has just been huge. And defensively, the whole back line and Sabrina Davis, the goalie, returned. Mm-hmm. What did that mean to this group? It's huge. I mean, it's everything. You're not starting. It's always nice to have new players and they bring different things, but having that experience just can't be matched. Like knowing what to do in different situations and having that knowledge and that connection is just big time. Let's talk about the pregame ritual uh, of, of spitting, you know, at the, <laughs> in the, inside the box. So mm-hmm. I, I've been here a minute. This has been going on for a long time, and it's one of my favorite things. Explain what you guys do when and why you do it. <laughs> okay, so we line up like how we line up on the field. So you've got your outside back, center backs, outside back, and then your keeper on the side. And it's kind of just a tradition. I, di- I didn't start it, so it's been way back since, like, it's, Lindsay, Liz, and B and them. Like, it's been, been yeah, a minute. Exactly. Yeah, you just exactly. kind of inherit it. But so we line up. And you say left side, strong side, right side, back side. Then you go back to the center back and say bomb side, sab side, or whatever keeper's in. And then we all spit. And it's just like, we're in this. Let's go. Like you're marking your territory. Yeah. That's like, I got this area. I got this yep. area. This I got you. Ours. You got me. We need to Let's start do doing it. that on this show. Yeah. Or <laughs> bring it in. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Do you do it in the second half as no. well? Okay, just, just the, the first game. half mm-hmm. for the game. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. It's just kind of like a, we're all in this together. Unite. Let's do it. I love it. Yesterday, I was asking Coach Rockwood about team confidence, and, and she said that the team has earned the right to be confident because of the work you've put in. Regardless of who takes the pitch, everybody stepping on to the field, feeling confident. What's it like to be on a team like that? It's really fun. It's challenging, you know, because everyone's always giving their best, but it's a lot of fun. I don't know. I feel like we have earned it. Everyone that comes on, that starts on, whatever, has done something to earn that confidence, and so... I'd say it's a lot of fun. <laughs> Defensively, one goal allowed in four games, and it was a penalty kick. So you've yet to allow a goal in the run of play. I guess mm-hmm. describe uh, how satisfying that is to have not allowed one in the run of play quite yet. Yeah, I'm a little upset about the PK. I gave it up, and I know better. <laughs> I know better, but <laughs> I'll be better. Was it a good call or no? no? It was a bad mistake on my part, but okay. I know better. I'll be better. Thankfully, my team had my back. You know, it came up with a win, but it's huge. I think it's just a testament of how important it is to return so many players because, I don't know, can't be taught. You have to go out there and do it and, I don't know, experience. Where do you get that motivation and that uh, drive to, you say, you can't be taught? So (laughs) so how do you teach yourself, I guess? Yeah, soccer stuff because there's no half, or there's halftime, but there's no, like, timeouts, stuff like that. And so you're kind of figuring it out on your own for a good 45 minutes before you can regroup with the coaches. And that's where I think it can't be taught. That experience is huge because you're required to fix things on the field. And so having been in situations before, it can help you solve problems in the now. 
you're one of the players that, that chose to serve a mission for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And obviously you've been playing soccer <laughs> your whole life. What was that decision like to break away from a sport that you had played for so long and, and serve the Lord? And, and what has that meant to your career now since coming back? Um, it was really hard. My freshman year was really tough. So I registered that first year. And then I tried really hard not to go on my mission. I had like felt like I needed to go, but I was like, no, it's probably just means like with my husband, I need to go or like later in life later, like the timing wasn't right. And then finally Steph Ringwood from forever ago was like, if it's something you've been thinking about, you should probably just do it. She was sick of me talking about it. And like, I guess that's what I needed. Like a kick in the butt. Cause she was like, I was like, yeah, you're right. And so put in my papers and I went and it's been huge. Like the timing's been everything. I came back in January. And so I was able to have that whole season to like the whole spring season to work back in. And then that gave me the opportunity to play that fall. And it was nice. I got to play with Taylor, a spot had kind of opened up. So I got a lot of minutes and it was unfortunate. We had so many injuries that spring, but it worked for me. Cause then I got to slide in there and get that like exposure and the experience and it gave me the chance to do what I'm doing now. Someone, I can't remember what I was listening to, but someone said, I stopped suppressing my feelings and I just embraced <laughs> them. Right. And, uh, you know, if you feel something strong, like, go, go yeah, do, do it, it. Right? go, yeah. go do it. If, if it's exactly. good. Absolutely. Uh, when the mission age change came out, I, we were curious to see how that would affect, uh, the women, uh, in the athletic department. Um, the soccer team, it feels like has been the one that's had the most missionaries. Maybe I'm off on this, but what is it like to have, I guess there's three on the team and then there's two out right now mm-hmm. in missions. Yeah, I think that's right. It's definitely affected our recruiting. So we only graduated one last year, Maddie Sidaway. But this year we gained seven freshmen. We have 30 on our team, or 29, which is really big because 11 play and only 22 travel. So it's definitely kind of thrown off the numbers, but it's been good because, I don't know, we can play full field games and we can do everything big. So that's been fun. But, yeah, it's kind of thrown off our numbers, but it brings a nice sort of dynamic, sort of change. Yeah, I bet Jen knows – Excel spreadsheets way more than she did before. And I know the football in. team has its own program as to, okay, oh, yeah. so-and-so gets back and scholarship. The timing of all That'd of be hard to manage. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Let's focus in on, on Texas A&M tonight. We know they come in. They're ranked 12th. You guys are ranked 10th. You mentioned this is a game you guys have been looking forward to since mm-hmm. last season. Uh, the result wasn't what you had hoped last year. What do you know about this Aggie team that will be in here tonight? I know they're strong and fast. I know they're dangerous from we were, our scouting report, um, number one, she's dangerous up top. And they have a center midi that is very good at distribution. I know that we're better. <laughs> and I know <laughs> that <laughs> we're going to come out just rolling. I'm so excited. So I don't know if they're going to be dangerous. So it's going to be a good game. But I have no doubt that we're going to come out just you're feeling it. All, yeah. You're I feeling it. can't come quick enough. Last Friday, there were 5,000 fans that showed up. It was an incredible environment against Utah. Uh, do you expect more tonight? Yeah, we're hoping. We're trying to break our attendance record. Uh, we've been doing all this promo as much as we can. We get to do the Instagram takeover for The Rock today. So nice. Watch that. That's a lot of fun. But, yeah, we just want to get a lot of people out there. Cougar, having, like, Cougar Nation behind us all the time is huge. And Literally behind you. Yeah. They're, like, they're behind literally the behind too. the goal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You can, do you, do you feel, feel that? It. Oh, yeah. It, yeah, we can feel it for sure. It's just fun. Like, you can tell in the rules of the game when people kind of, BYU. And it kind of just so you can hear resets. It. Oh, yeah. You can hear the cheers. 
Sometimes you can hear the side comments, but you just, <laughs> you just block. Yeah, you let those go. You just block the. Yeah. All right. So now, what are the chances that you score a goal? <laughs> now, the, the funny thing is, we were talking about this before. I'm like, wait, she she did score a goal. It was on a free kick, and then I remembered that was an exhibition, so yeah. it, it doesn't count okay. for the regular season. Do we stats. need to talk to Jen? Yeah, that... we need to change that. Yeah. Yeah. Have you taken some free kicks? <laughs> yeah. Is that your best opportunity to score? You think? Yeah, I think because it is. Because you're probably not in on the corner as yeah. well. Yeah, I love going forward. It's tougher from center back. When I played outside back, it's a little easier. But I do still do it from center back. But usually I go and kind of try and distribute a little bit, kind of draw someone and lay it off. So it is tougher in the run of play, but a set piece, who knows? Okay. Did you like the Jennifer Rockwood bobblehead? Was it an yeah. accurate depiction? <laughs> oh, yeah. It was spot on. It had her little ponytail or hat. It was so funny. Do you all have one? Yeah, we all got one after the game, having her sign it, everything. Where, where is yours displayed? In my room, just right there on my desk. Do you ever look to it for <laughs> for advice? advice? It has a light, a pillar above it. <laughs> <I'm just kidding. laughs> and there it is. There, it's uh, awesome. it's it's bobbing now. There you go. Is that just always shaking or is it, what? Why is it bobbing right now? I'm very confused. She's agreeing with. She's like. She's agreeing with the, this interview. We're getting into Toy Story-like uh, territory right here. That's crazy. Well, uh, best of luck tonight. Let's give you the BYU Sports Nation karma. Maybe to score a goal, to prevent yeah. a goal, right? Yeah. And uh, since this is your first time in studio, we'd love to have your signature on that flag. Awesome. Sign anywhere you'd like. Okay. okay, thanks, Alyssa. Alyssa Jefferson, women's soccer. Tonight, 9 Eastern, BYU ranked 10th, Texas a ranked 12th, BYU TV, BYU Radio. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation on BYU Radio. The best of BYU Sports Nation collects our favorite conversations and brings them to you every Saturday. Let's get to our going for two picks. Can you predict the future? Yep. These guys think they can. We're going for two on BYU Sports Nation. Okay, we make two picks for each football game. Uh, If you get them right, you get a point for each one. So let's uh, recap what Spencer did, Jason. Yes, uh, Spencer's first pick. BYU will score first. Tennessee scores the touchdown with 4.53 left in the first quarter. Did not get a point there. His I award you no point. I award, yeah, exactly. Pick number two for Spencer. Two or more sacks for the BYU defense. <laughs> Only one sack by Chaz Ayu. Okay. Your uh, new flash linebacker. Yeah, exactly. Uh, operative word being flash. That dude's fast, man. Yes, he is. Uh, my two picks. Pick one. BYU will turn it over no more than one time. They didn't turn it over. When you don't turn it over, you have a chance to win. <laughs> Pick two. Tyson Williams will carry the ball 16-plus times. Nailed it. But it took overtime to get there. His career high was 15 previously. He got to 16-plus, and thank goodness for OT. It's such a cop-out, though, your 16-plus thing. Why? Because it's just your go-to. You put no thought in that. I put complete thought into that. I looked up his previous career high, and I said he will set a new career high. What do you mean, no thought? You're always 16 plus. No, it's 17. 17 plus. plus. Oh, yeah. yeah. Right. I would I would like you to put some thought into that. I don't pick because that my number is 17. <laughs> it's not 16. It should be 16 in honor right. of Blaine Fowler. Yeah, I, I do love Blaine. Right. <laughs> really? So, so updated scoreboard, David Nixon. Thank you. Is that live, David Nixon? We know he's in the building. He could be just right outside the door right David. now. He still, he probably hasn't left. Now testify. Exactly. Uh, I'm up 3-1, so uh, an early lead for me in going for two. And uh, let's uh, get you updated on how all the BYU opponents last weekend fared. 
we call it Tracking Cougar Opponents, presented by BYU Food to Go, the MVP of your next event. Kick us off, Jason. Yeah, first team we're looking at, Utah, moving to 2-0 and on the season with a 35-17 win over Northern Illinois in their home opener in Salt Lake City. The Utes climb three spots in the polls to 11. They get a gimme dub as they host Idaho State on Saturday. Which also tells you about Idaho State later, but we'll get to them. Tennessee will look to avoid an 0-3 start. They host Chattanooga Saturday. Who knows what's going to happen? When those two teams get together, yeah, you, you, throw out you, throw the out, you throw out the records. Hey, how about this? USC moved to 2-0 and on the season and debuted in the top 25 at number 24 after taking down Stanford 45-20. to Here's some interesting news that happened yesterday afternoon. Yep. Despite the hot start, the 2-0 and start, A.D. Lynn Swan, the Hall of Famer, resigned yesterday as the Trojans uh, prepare to travel to Provo this week. Will that be any kind Weird of Weird timing for that, by the way. I know. I Very thought, strange timing. I thought it was odd, yeah. Washington lost 20-19 to and weather-delayed thriller to Cal. The Huskies fell 10 spots in the polls but stay in at number 23. Uh, Washington hosts 2-0 Hawaii, who already has two wins against Pac-12 competition in Arizona and Oregon State. Toledo remains 0-1 as they uh, enjoyed a bye Week Did this they enjoy week. it? Well, I think you can. You're supposed to. They lost. You're told, so I'm not sure they you're told it. to enjoy it because it's a bye week. They, uh, they host Murray State, a guy named Murray State this mm-hmm. week. Hey, John Moran, man. Come on. USF 0-2 after losing 14-10 to Georgia Tech. South Carolina State next up for the Bulls. Remember, uh, South Florida started the season 7-0, lost the last six, all to teams that were bowl eligible. So when they play someone that's even decent, they lose. Yes. So they've lost eight in a row. <laughs> Boise State, who we were just talking about, Boise State and BYU signing a, a 10-year uh, football series extension between 25. It should be, until the rapture happens, they yes. should play every year. That's again, what I Again, I'm, yeah. I just get comfort every time BYU schedules something further and further away. <laughs> get comfort. <laughs> A blanket. I gain I gain comfort. Boise State, while while they did not light up the scoreboard, they did improve to two and zero with a fourteen to seven win over Marshall. FCS Portland State is next up for the twenty second ranked Broncos. Uh, BYU is probably going to host three ranked opponents in a row at home. By the way, how about that? USC, what a Washington, great opportunity! Uh, win at least one of them. Let's go all three, if, if not two. That would be awesome. Utah State beat up FCS foe Stony Brook 62-7, 717 yards of total offense. The Aggies have a bye week this year. Liberty, 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 Liberty. Coach Hugh Freeze graduated from a hospital bed to a dentist chair. What? Uh, I don't know. But Liberty still fell to Louisiana Lafayette 35-14. Liberty now 0-2. They prepare to host Buffalo. Idaho State plays Utah. As mentioned, they did beat Western Colorado in the season opener 38-13. And UMass joining the ranks of uh, the 0-2 as they fall 45-20 to Southern Illinois. The Minutemen travel to Charlotte this week. And last but not least, San Diego State 2-0 after beating UCLA 23-14 at New Mexico State this week. The best of BYU Sports Nation will be back after this on BYU Radio. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation on BYU Radio. Joining us now on the Deseret First Credit Union Hotline is Ryan Abraham, who covers USC sports for 247sports.com. Ryan, nice to have you on the show. How are you? Thanks for having me. Looking forward to it. should be an exciting college football weekend. Man, and uh, BYU and USC in the national spotlight. ABC afternoon kickoff at beautiful Lavelle Edwards Stadium. And the Trojans through two weeks... 
looking like they may have returned to their 2017 form. Are you buying them right now as a legit Pac-12 title contender and ranked team? Yeah, they got my attention. I'm not buying it completely yet. I don't think Stanford is as good as I thought they were going to be this season. They didn't look great against uh, Fresno State in the opener. Of course, you lose JT Daniels, your starting quarterback. But I think Keaton Slovis is the real deal. More importantly, this offensive scheme is the real deal, bringing in the air raid and Graham Harrell. And the defense looks better. I think they're playing better as a whole, and I'm giving them a much better shot to get through this really tough early part of the season schedule than I did like going into the season. Will the litmus test be Utah next week, you think, to see where uh, USC stands in the Pac-12? I think that's the big one. I mean, it's probably the most important game on the schedule because it's probably for the Pac-12 South, it will probably come down to those two teams. But there's really no none of the first six games you can overlook. Certainly not you know, on the road, your first test at BYU. And then after Utah, you've got a road game against Washington and a road game against Notre Dame. So they can't really overlook any of these opponents. But the big one, if you want to win the South and try to win the conference, I think is that Utah game next weekend. Ryan Abraham, follow him at Inside Troy on Twitter with us on BYU Sports Nation. Now, depending on which expert in the desert you trust, USC is a four or four and a half point favorite against BYU. Do you think that line is fair? Because I think a number of BYU fans are looking at what USC's done, and they think that's probably a little too close. Yeah, it might be. To me, it seems a little too close. But that's if USC's offense can take themselves on the road and perform the same way. They were 90th in the, in the country in scoring last year with about the same players, the best wide receiver group in the country. They got good running backs. You got good quarterback play, and they still weren't able to score. I think they're going to score – a lot more points this year, and we've seen BYU give up some, some big yards on the run. I think their running game can be better. So, yeah, it seems a little tight for me, but, you know, you don't know. USC going on the road with a true freshman quarterback, is he not going to shine uh, in that kind of environment? So maybe that's what's built into the line, but my gut instinct would have been more like a touchdown or something like that. Let's talk about the quarterback, Keaton Slovis. So JT Daniel, unfortunately, tears his ACL at the end of the first half against Fresno State in week one. All of a sudden, hey, true freshman, uh, get in there and do something. Win this game, beats Fresno State, beats Stanford, looks really good in doing so. Now the first road game comes against BYU. Uh, what can you tell us about Keaton Slovis? Yeah, he's a three-star quarterback, which USC doesn't play or start three-star quarterbacks. There have always been four- and five-star guys. Even like a Sam Darnold, he was the second quarterback in the class, but he was still a four-star guy. This is a new territory, and I think when he comes in in the spring and looks really good, new offensive coordinator Graham Harrell was really praising him, and everyone's like, yeah, he'll just redshirt. There's three veterans in front of him, but they really liked the way he played. Now, he wasn't able to beat out JT Daniels, but I think all of the quarterbacks played well, and as a true freshman in this system, he just seemed to shine. He's making the right decisions. He's, you know, has good touch on the ball. I think he's finding the guys who are open, and that's really what this offense is predicated on, just finding guys. They're supposed to run the grass. Receivers just run to an open spot, and the quarterback is supposed to find them. And he did that to the tune of, you know, 28 completions and only in 33 attempts. So it's going to be tougher, I think, on the road. BYU's going to drop more guys in coverage. He might not, you know – see some defenders that are dropping back. He doesn't expect to be there. Stanford played a lot of man, but the way he played in his first game, uh, really encouraging for USC fans going forward. We'll see if he can continue that against, I think, a tougher BYU secondary. Ryan Abraham, USC football insider for 24-7 Sports on BYU Sports Nation. Is the success story of Keaton Slovis thus far more about him, or is it more about his elite group of wide receivers? 
Yeah, I think there's a, a good combination. His group of wide receivers are great, but they had that same group last year, and you didn't see this kind of success. I really think the offensive system with Graham Harrell, they've simplified things. He's come in with a singular uh, notion of what this offense could be. They called it the gumbo the last couple of years because it was a little bit of everything. There was some Sark, there was some Kiffin, there was some Helton and T. Martin, and now it's, you have one voice. He's the quarterback coach. He's the offensive coordinator. And I think everybody's on the same page. He's putting this team and this offense in a situation where they can succeed, and it's helping a true freshman like Keaton Slovis. But certainly having that group of wide receivers where you can just throw it up sometimes if you have to, and they'll make a catch, uh, that helps too. Yeah, the, these guys are tremendous. And during the uh, summer, we do a uh, what we call 10 and 10, and I would preview all the uh, position groups. The receivers for USC suck out so much. So Tyler Vaughns and Amon Ross St. Brown, who's like the most interesting man in college football uh, with his background, <laughs> Michael Pittman, these guys are amazing. Do you expect all three to play in the NFL? Yeah, I think they all will. I mean, you're talking about five-star guys, um, all of them, and uh, you, know, you don't get that all the time. Uh, Tyler Vaughns is my guy. Uh, he's been over 100 yards uh, in both games. Uh, people have said he had some drops, but the last – the last game, there was a couple of pass defended, passes defended when he was on there. Michael Pittman hasn't caught a touchdown yet. He did catch one, but it was called back for a, for a penalty. I think Amon Ra St. Brown probably has the highest ceiling of those guys. I mean, he's just a special player in the slot. But having all those three guys work together, and they're not coming out a lot. They're supposed to rotate in more, and they just like to be out there on the field. So I, I think Graham Harrell's run these successful offenses where you have guys that are kind of like okay wide receivers. I don't think he's run anything like this where you have – three really good guys to choose from. Can you tell us more about Amon Ross St. Brown? I, I gave some of his background in the last segment of fluent in German and French and named after the Egyptian sun god Amon Ra and sky god uh, Haru and dad was uh, Mr. Universe and Mr. World as a bodybuilder. This guy's like amazing. He has so much to talk about. Yeah, he's interesting. Modern day high school, a five-star athlete. You know, his, two, you know, his brother played at Notre Dame. Uh, you know, you got Osiris. Uh, Equinamius, and then Amon Ra. So there's some really interesting That's names. Awesome. And his, their names were, his last name was originally Brown, and he changed it to St. Brown to be a little more exotic. And, of course, he gives his sons the exotic names. But to have all three of them playing big-time Division I uh, college football and all playing at a high level is pretty amazing. And he's obviously a fitness nut. And you see a guy like Amon Ra St. Brown, when he came in, he didn't look like a true freshman. So I think that gave him a little bit of a – a leg up, but him and, and uh, JT Daniels, you know, went to high school together, so it really helped him, you know, jumpstart his freshman season when JT started eleven of those games. We've talked a lot about the placement of this game in USC's schedule and how it might be a benefit to BYU with the Trojans at two and zero, knowing they've got a huge game against Utah in a short week coming up in LA. That this might be a trap scenario for the Trojans is that fool's gold for BYU fans to buy into. This might be a trap game for the Trojans. No, I, I think that's 100% right. Clay Helton tried to address that this week. I mean, they were sky high with all the negativity around this program for the last nine months. And every interview I did was talking about how, you know, what is Clay Helton going to be fired? And all, they hear all that. And they knew they had to go on the field and prove everyone wrong. I don't think they did against Fresno State. It was an eight-point game, and Fresno State was driving at the end. But then to go out against Stanford and, and you know, go on a 42-3 to run, they felt so good about that. Can you keep that up? Can you keep that high going and still play at a high level? Now, instead of you know, in the Coliseum, you're going to do it on the road, knowing that you have Utah, Washington, and Notre Dame coming up. There, I, I think it would be hard to not overlook this one a little bit. So that's got to be their focus because you know BYU is, can be a complete giant killer. 
I love the way Zach Wilson plays. So if they overlook this at all, I don't think it's going to go well for the Trojans. Ryan, it's great to talk to you, man. We appreciate the insight uh, into USC football and some more details on Amon Ross St. Brown. <laughs> oh, yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for having me on, You guys. got it. Ryan Abraham on the Deseret First Credit Union Hotline. Deseret First, you know why. We show how. Warren G's son, Elijah Griffin, yeah. is also on the team. I mean, there's a lot of personality going on there. Time to That's regulate. <laughs> yeah, mount up. Let's go. <laughs> Welcome back to BYU Sports Nation. It's time now that we play Know the Foe, presented by Delta Airlines. Keep climbing. BYU Sports Nation asks, do you know the foe? Kind of. We think we might know a little bit about USC. I mean, they are a well-known traditional powerhouse, so we should get at least a few of these, right? Right? Ben, what do you have for us? The chances are low. And just a quick correction there, it's actually seven of the games I'll be filling in, yeah. or am I filling in? That's the question. Like yeah. I said, primary host. Yeah. yeah, thank you. Thank you very much. All right, before the show, we did a uh, official coin flip, and Jerem won, and he chose to defer to the second half. So, Spencer, you get I the did? first question. Yes. <laughs> oh. You were there, right? Remember? <laughs> yeah, All right, me Spencer, and Jerome Bettis. We'll okay. start easy as we usually do because you guys need a warm-up. True or false? USC has more national titles in athletics than, it ha- than any other school in the NCAA. False. I think it's Stanford. Wow. UCLA. No, no extra points for getting Stanford correct. Oh, it is? Stanford's number one with 123, UCLA 117, then USC 107. Truly Whoa. the conference of champions. That's a lot. Thanks, Bill Walton. The conference That's of champions. That's a lot of water polo. <laughs> yes. Uh, Jerem. Yes. True or false? USC once had an unofficial mascot by the name of George Tirebiter. Uh, that would be false. <laughs> That's true. George was a dog on campus of chase cars and once bit the UCLA mascot. <laughs> George Tire Biter? He, he, yes, he actually has a statue on campus. Really? Yes. We can't, George, we can't get a statue of anybody. They have a statue of a dog? Yes, named by George Tire Biter. Tire Biter. All right, Spencer, you're up 1-0. Here's your next question. Does USC football boast more Heisman Trophy winners or national championships? Ooh, good question. Oh, man. I'm going to go with Heisman Trophy winners on this one, Ben. Oh, it's more national championships. It is. 11 national championships, six, asterisk, seven Heisman Trophy winners. Okay. (laughs) I see what you did there, Reginald Bush. Boy, that was a killer question, Ben. Wow. All right, right, Jerem. Finally a great one. Chance to tie it up. Thank you, guys. Who has more college bowl, bowl game appearances, USC or Alabama? Ooh, good question. I, was, I thought you were going to say BYU. Oh, uh, that's an easy one. I will go USC or Alabama. I'll go with uh, USC. Mm. Okay. Oh, okay. No, it's Alabama. 66 to 54. They are the top two, though. Is there a second half? I would like to go first again. <laughs> <laughs> you get the ball off the half. Can I get the ball? Okay. Here we go. Which of the following, Spencer, is not a USC football player and actor okay. in a Hollywood? O.J. Simpson, John Wayne, Tim Rosevich, or Carl Weathers? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Carl Weathers. <laughs> I'm going to go with C, Tim Rosevich. No. Carl Weathers. He played at Long Beach City College. So John Wayne played for USC? John Wayne was a tackle on the USC football teams in 25 and 26. Yes, I knew John Wayne played. Obviously, O.J. Simpson, but I was not sure about the last two. O.J. Simpson played at USC? What? Said no one. All right, Jerem. Chance once again to tie it up. Which of the following is not 
a USC football player in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Oh, boy. <laughs> Willie Wood, Frank Gifford, Tony Baselli, or Bruce Matthews. Good luck. What were the first two again? <laughs> Willie Wood and Frank Gifford. Maybe you've heard of Frank Gifford. Did, uh, yeah, of course. Did he? I'll go A. No, is it Frank it's, Gifford? It's Tony Baselli. Tony, Tony Baselli is not in. In Injury the, short in career. No, not in the not in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Really? Didn't didn't uh, Tony Danza play that guy? What? <laughs> Tony Baselli never was. Wow. I think his name's Tony no, Baselli he, he, in that no, show. No, not in the Hall, Pro Football Hall of Fame. All right, Spencer. Okay. Which of the following actors is not a USC alum? LeVar Burton, Tom Selleck, Joey Lawrence, or James Franco? Oh. I'm going to go with A. LeVar Burton. Oh, no. Joey LaForge. Reading Rainbow. What was it, the answer? It's James Franco. It's he James went to UCLA. <sighs> USC has an amazing film school. Oh. Yeah, they are like the film like school. Like top three in the country. Now, speaking of which, Jeremy, that leads us to your question. Which of the following directors is not a USC alum? Okay. George Lucas, Judge, Judd Apatow, Francis Ford Coppola, or Who? Brian Singer? I'll go Brian Singer, D. No, it's Francis Ford Coppola. He's also a UCLA grad. <laughs> These are impossible. Th- th- these are hard. <laughs> yeah, yeah, man. I well, knew I, that George Lucas went to USC. The, the film school's named after him. Right? Uh, we're like one for eight. Yeah, that's <laughs> exactly that? what it is, and that's all I've got. I've got, I've got a tiebreaker, but you guys didn't tie. So I, Let, let's hear it anyway. Both all right, here win. you go. Yeah. Uh, USC has had four coaches since Pete Carroll to the, uh, the current Clay Helton regime. Okay. Yeah. Name them. Lane Kiffin. Correct. Yeah. Steve Sarkeesian. Yes. Who's the, uh, yeah, who's the other one? There, there two more. Four? There are two, two more. more? Yeah. Did uh, What's-His-Bucket from Washington? No, he didn't. LeVar Burton? No, he didn't do that. No. 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 Who, who, who are the other two? I want to say, like, John Robinson, but that was way before. No, that was that way, was way before. Way. Clay Helton was the interim head coach in the 2013 Las Vegas right, Bowl. Right, right. So okay, so that, does that current, count as one? That counts as one. Okay. okay. And the other one, a very obvious one you guys are missing. Oh, no. Oh, no. The oh, current no. head coach at LSU, our good buddy. Oh, Ed Orgeron. Cajun, oh, Cajun Ed Orgeron. Ed Orgeron, USA. Yeah. Yeah. go out and win that game, boys. Get them a ball down the field. Yeah. <laughs> All right, nice. there you go. Thank okay, you, sir. Love you, bye. I'm glad that we know nothing. Yeah, we, we feel great about ourselves. Do we know the foe? The answer is clearly no. Oh, boy. The foe. The best of BYU Sports Nation. We'll be right back. Rise and shout for the trending topics of the week here on the best of BYU Sports Nation. Many of you have tweeted at us about a headline that emerged over the weekend when it came to Nick Emery and his response to a basketball recruit who announced BYU had made his final four cut. Emery tweeted the following, and I quote, Honest tweet, to the, to the player, you would be playing with some of the greatest dudes and have great teammates at BYU, but playing for those coaches would be an absolute disaster. They are not what they portray and are super sketchy and dishonest. Good luck with the decision, bro. End quote. After a BYU Twitter storm at Emory, that tweet along with a few others were deleted on Saturday morning. Emory then tweeted out the following, Jeremy, if you will. Twitter, I was hacked by Antonio Brown last night. Super sorry. Kidding. In reality, I just love basketball and I have some things to work out to get to a peaceful place again. I'll grow up. 
Thanks for holding me accountable. It's working. Much love to Cougar Nation. Okay, Jerem, now that you've seen both sides of this, what is your reaction on Monday to Nick's multiple tweets over the weekend? It's certainly not a great look. Perhaps burned bridges, if not the bridge, with BYU to fans and obviously that coaching staff. Some, something happened with him and the coaching staff that was not explained, and he's chosen not to uh, explain that. Perhaps he'd be more justified in and if he did and it was understood, but he's kept that quiet. I respect that. I, I, it just feels weird to use the following words. Absolute disaster, sketchy, and dishonest. That's pretty frank, right, with this situation. And uh, obviously Nick has had some troubles off the field. He's talked about mental health. Um, you want to be sensitive to this situation uh, with him right here, but it's not a good look. Uh, I think in this situation, he probably would have been better spent not saying it at all, but he has the right to say it if he wants, but this is the reaction he's going to get. Well, the timing of it all is really, really Late night on a Friday. Well. Yes, That's late not night the on a best Friday. time to tweet. And within a week of when the NCAA concludes their appeal investigation, thus vacating 47 wins from Dave Rose because of Nick Emery. So just yeah, the timing right. of it all, the the emotions of it, like I I honestly thought it was I thought he got hacked at, at first. I thought it was a joke at first. I'm like, did somebody like get onto Nick Emery's Twitter account and send this out? This can't be real. This can't be real. But then it got deleted, and then he responded, and I thought, oh my goodness, like he re- he really did this, and he really feels that, and he has the prerogative to express that. The ramifications of that are that's not going to be met. Kindly by BYU fans, right? No. And, and, it, so, and it so wasn't. That, so that's what you get if you send that out, right? He can totally send that out. He has every right to. But you kind of burn it. Like, I, I don't feel like Nick Emery can show up to BYU and be welcomed with open arms. I, th- I thought he might have still been, even with the sanctions, which were his fault. Oh, I think, but after I think this, people it's had tough. They had given it's him tough. largely the benefit of the doubt, speaking of BYU right. fans. And some have not, but some still were. And, and I probably was. But after this, I'm like, wait, why, why are you burning this bridge with BYU? I don't, I don't understand. Yeah. And he came in studio with us and the next talk, day. talked about why he was leaving the program. And mm-hmm. I, I thought that was a good look for him. Yes, he was, he was talking. But obviously something happened between this staff and him that uh, hasn't been explained uh, is the reason he's so upset. Here's what I will say. I, I wish nothing but the best for Nick Emery. I, I want him to get to a place where he's happy and that this can become a non-issue. And I thought he was, I thought he was already well down that road. Something but, happened. And, and it, something and happened. It boiled up again. Snapped emotion. Yeah. Emotional tweeting is typically never a good thing. Yeah. It just isn't. Heading into a game, most defenses will tell you that stopping the run is the top priority. Now, with USC, that may not be the case. Spencer, is the run defense or pass defense more important against USC? Okay, on the surface, the answer to this question is pass defense because USC runs the air raid offense with Graham Harrell, and they're going to chuck it all over the field, and they might. But, Jason, you ask any defensive coordinator in the country what the key is on defense, and that is stop the run, which BYU to this point has not done. And that takes us to our stat of the day. It's the BYU Sports Nation stat of the day. Your BYU Cougars are ranked 128th in FBS out of 130 teams in rush defense, giving up 200 52 rush yards a game. 
I know, Zach Moss ran wild. He's one of the best running backs in the country. Ty Chandler, also a dynamic running back for Tennessee. But still, 252 a game, not going to cut it. BYU fortunate that they're 1-1 one one coming back to Provo, given this statistic. Yes, USC's going to throw the ball, and they get it out quick, so it's going to be hard to pressure the quarterback. And <sighs> It starts with the run defense. BYU's got to shore up the run game because if they can't stop the run, and USC's not terrible. No, they're not. They're still running for essentially 150 a game. BYU's got to stop the run so that they can then key on a freshman quarterback and make him a little bit nervous knowing that he has to throw the ball because the run is not working. It's, got, it's the run defense. Look, I, I agree with so much of what you just said, but you answered your own question when you said, obviously the answer is the pass defense. On the surface. On the sur- okay, excuse me. Okay, I, uh, I inferred because it is the correct <laughs> answer. Stopping the pass is the top priority. Look, and, and, and that's not saying that the BYU defense is fine letting the Trojans run all over them, but USC comes in with the nation's leading passer in terms of completion percentage at 83%, and arguably the best receiving core in college football. USC right now is ranked 18th in the country in passing yards per game at 324.5. Yeah. Yeah, that's decent, okay? USC is ranked 73rd on the ground per game with 145. You said basically 150. So it's not like they're horrible at it, but it's certainly not what they have been known for in the first two games. Yes, BYU's got to be better at stopping the run, but USC brings an elite passing attack that the Cougars have got to find a way to slow down. They, they have got to find a way to slow down that passing attack. BYU to this point has kind of taken the bend, don't break approach. Here's Kalani Satake on that philosophy. I think we've done a good job defensively at, at probably not at, at getting yards taken care of, but uh, if you're looking at the points um, and, and the amount of points that our, our defense has given up, we probably bend a little bit. And, uh, but we're, right now we're in the position where we're going against a, a different type of offense. And so really, uh, I'm not going to tell you the playbook, but we'll see what happens. I cannot wait to see what kind of offensive game plan USC brings at BYU's defense because they are so pass-heavy. Right. But you can't tell me Graham Harrell's not looking at, oh, man, BYU's giving up 252 rush yards a game. Maybe we should run to set up the pass. I'm really interested to see what happens. There. Yeah, th- this, this will be a great chess match between these two uh, offenses and defenses on both sides. See how this works out. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation on BYU Radio. Hear what the coaches, athletes, and experts have to say. Here's another great interview from the week on the best of BYU Sports Nation. Jerem Jordan recently spoke with BYU wide receiver Micah Simon, fresh off that Rocky Top revival and the... Simon says, Mike, a miracle. Here is BYU Sports Nation All Access with BYU's current leading receiver. All right, Micah, uh, how was your weekend, man? Uh, it was pretty good, you know. I was able really? to get some rest. <laughs> you know, just able to get some rest and uh, get, get the body back ready for, uh, for today. When did it settle in that, one, you guys beat Tennessee in the manner you did, but, two, that you made one of the greatest plays in BYU football history? Uh, I really don't know, you know, uh, for sure had that feeling just kind of right afterwards that, you know, we, we, we definitely just won the game and it was a super, 
Super exciting feeling, you know, just just proud of all the hard work the my teammates and coaches have put into it. And, uh, you know, it's something that we'll, uh, we'll, we'll remember forever. Are you trying to keep it low-key right now or, or what? Because that was amazing, right? That was amazing what happened over the weekend. Yeah. <laughs> you moved on already? Yeah, I have. It's, 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 time for, it's time for week three. It's time for week three now. You're dialed in, man. It's, you're playing the senior card on me right here? I'm just dialed in, <laughs> ready to go. Sorry, I'm going to have to rewind. Uh, I'm going to make you do this. So rewind before the 64-yard play. So it's, it's first and 18. At that point, ESPN said there was a 99.9% chance to lose for BYU. Uh, Zach runs for 12, sets up third and six. Describe the play call, what you saw. Zach Wilson said, I think half the guys didn't get the right play or something. What happened? Yeah, you know, it's one of those things where you really can't prepare for where you have no timeouts left, have to go, you know, basically the length of the field. And uh, I thought he was going to be able to get out of bounds so we could at least just regroup for a quick second, but he got tackled inbound, so the clock's just ticking, ticking, ticking. So, you know, we're looking to the sideline, and, it's just a lot going on, so you know I, I'm pretty sure half the guys did get the right call and the other half didn't, but it didn't matter. Yeah, play play worked out. Uh, you know Zach, Zach made a great throw. Bushman had a few defenders looking at him. I just got behind my guy and uh, yeah, just made it work. D- did you get the right play call or did you just run a a go? Was it? Yeah, no, I I, I had the right play call. Yeah, so that that was good at least. <laughs> <laughs> Zach said he knew what you and Matt Bushman were doing. Um, and I, I'm not even sure he looked to the left. So he was going to one of you probably there. When did when in the play did you realize, oh, my goodness, uh, one, the pass is coming, and two, this is going to work? Yeah, uh, I think it was I was probably 15 yards downfield, and the guy, uh, the cornerback, turned, and I think he thought I was running an out route or something because I ran that earlier in the game. And uh, he kind of paused for a second, and then I just got behind him. And uh, I saw that there was just one, only one deep safety in the middle of the field. And then right when I looked, I saw, Zach, I saw Zach's eyes lit up just as big as mine did, and he made a good ball. You said to Spencer after the game, uh, I was just thinking, catch it, catch it. Just describe, I guess, mentally what was going through your head as you're like, okay, the ball's in the air. This, this is, we got a chance here. Yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's still a routine catch, but it's just at a really crucial point of the game. So it's just, you know, ultimate focus on it. Um, you know, a lot of people have been texting me the picture where my eyes are like crazy big. Uh, I was just making sure I saw the, the every bit of the ball and uh, look it all the way in. And, uh, yeah, it's just, it's just a great feeling. So once you catch it at that point, it's still interesting what happens because are you thinking you can house it at that point initially? Uh, right then I did, but then just at the last second I saw the the free safety come over, and uh, I knew I couldn't get tackled then because we were still too far, and then uh, was just able to make a make a quick move, and then and then I thought I was gonna house it for sure because I only saw Bushman, and then I was running and then saw the other corner uh, who was super fast catch catch up, and then at that point it was just protect the ball. And uh, just get the get Jake the make out there uh, to to take it as overtime force. No doubt he'd make it, right? No doubt. <laughs> I was ready. I was ready for. Him. I, I've never seen the guy miss. He, he and he hasn't missed what in practice in a while too. Like you're serious? <laughs> yeah, I'm like serious. <laughs> I don't want to jinx him and knock on wood somewhere, but yeah, where's where's wood? We'll find some. There's some right there. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but yeah, now Jake Jake's. Uh, 
you know, as, as a kicker, it's just an interesting, you know, position because you you can go out there and work on kicks all, all day by yourself, and that's what we saw from him in the summer. You know, him and the other kickers, uh, when we would go throw, they're out there, you know, just kicking away, and it's their, their hard work's been paying off. Yet he, he slid in the right upright so close that the fans behind him thought it missed. Did you see it initially and knew it was in, or did it take a sec? It took a second. I'm not going to lie. You know, uh, <laughs> a few of us on the sideline waited for a quick second until we saw the, the refs put up the put up their hands for it. But, uh, yeah, just, just uh, super happy for Jake um, to just be able to come back off his mission and kind of pick up right where he left off. How did the mentality and maybe momentum change once that series of plays happened going into overtime? Because offensively, it wasn't what you guys kind of wanted overall, but it, it felt like that kick started something that we saw two touchdowns in overtime yeah, I think uh, that that gave us all the momentum we needed. We we felt it shift. Uh, we kind of felt us just kind of take it away from them, and we, we felt we had the game in our hands. We just had to go out there and keep executing and uh, have some great play calls by, by Coach Grimes and the other coaches in overtime, and we just executed them. And then the defense hats, hats off to them as well, holding them to a field goal in the second overtime. I know you've worked extremely hard. Was this game validated in any way for you of the hard work you put into have seven for 127 in the, and the big play in the end? Uh, you know, I think I, uh, you know, I know all the hard work I've put in, and I know um, all, my, all my teammates kind of always have my back and always have faith in me. So, you know, uh, that's, that's just my job to, to go out there and, and, and make plays and catch the ball whenever my number's called. You know, that's, that's all I wanted to do this season was be – is just be reliable and consistent and somebody that Zach and the, and the coaches can, can trust on. And, uh, you know, that's, that's, that's all I'm doing. Seven targets, seven catches. You proud of that? I think I had eight targets. Oh, it was eight. I heard seven. Yeah, I think it was eight. It was uh, one scramble play. Zach and I weren't able to connect on. But, uh, you know, it's, it's all good. <laughs> okay, seven for eight. Still good. USC this uh, Saturday. What comes to mind when you think about USC? Great team, you know they're coming off a great win, two and zero, ranked. Um, you know, a great opportunity for us to to play in front of our home crowd, play in front of Cougar Nation, and I know uh, I know they'll pack the house for us, and they'll be uh, they'll be ready to go. I love that Mike <laughs> is so aware that he's like, no, it's actually. I love that he knows that like number. The disappointment. Yes. <laughs> we'll be right back with more of the best of BYU Sports Nation. The best of BYU Sports Nation collects our favorite conversations and brings them to you every Saturday. Following the game, about an hour after it concluded, I had a chance to talk with BYU quarterback Zach Wilson. It was about, that long? It felt like it. Oh, wow. Yeah. Maybe not a full hour, but it, it was close to. I had a chance to talk to him about his first Power 5 victory. Another road Power 5 victory for BYU, the play, and throwing the ball at my head. Here's that conversation. At this point, I'm sure you've uh, you've had a chance to calm down a little bit, but um, now, now that you've had a chance to soak it in, what what do you think of this this win at Rocky Top? Oh, it's crazy, man! Uh, emotions so high, so many big plays, so many things that could have gone one one way or the other. So many things could have gone one way or the other. Under a minute to play, it seemed like you're in almost hopeless circumstances. And then you find Micah Simon wide open. What happened on that play? How did it develop, and what did you see? Yeah, um, you know, I think we actually ran the wrong play. I saw, like, one signal on the sideline. Um, 
you know, I, I don't think the guys on the other half got the other half. I didn't know who was tagged. Um, they didn't get protection either. I saw one thing. I was like, you know what? I'm going to have some time. Guys are going to bail. I'm just going to scan the field. I knew Micah had a vert to, my, to the boundary. Saw the safeties run into the field. And I was like, you know what? He might run by the corner. And all of a sudden, the corner just fell off and just let Micah go down the, down the, the, the sideline and threw it out there. And it kind of just flashed before my eyes, like, super quick. And I was like, no way. Like, is this happening? Like, he's running down the sideline. Like, we're moving the ball. So it was a great play by him. Um, good execution in those hard circumstances by our team, man. I'm, I'm happy and proud of those guys for battling it through. I know this is a gratifying win for a number of reasons, but it was so loud. There was a lot of adversity, a lot of noise. How did you overcome all of this, overcome the adversity? What, what did this team do to you know, get the win in what seemed like an impossible situation at times? Yeah, man, we had some tough situations early in that first half, just, just beating ourselves up because of how loud it was in here. I mean, we had so many you know, snap issues of not being able to hear, um, taking forever to get the plays going because guys couldn't hear me. And so... <laughs> We had to adjust on the fly. We had to we had to try and put it into a new cadence halfway through the game. And, and you know, we went into halftime kind of just saying, you know what, we fixed our issues. Now we know what we're capable of, and we're going to go out there with confidence and, and just play ball. So the, on the game-winning play, you hand off to Tyson, and it kind of is this big jumble. What, what did you see from your perspective? Shoot, I was thinking about every sort of play that could happen there. I was thinking about throwing the slant to the, to the field, um, bailing corner. I was thinking about what I could have done. Um, but that dude was running hard, man. The O-line was pushing. And so, you know, in that situation, I was like, you know what? We got the momentum on our side. I'm going to give him the ball, and I'm just going to let him him push the pile. And I saw, you know, slowly him staying on his feet, um, guys working to keep him up and just, just keep that pile moving, man. It was cool. When did the momentum shift back in BYU's favor for good in overtime? Yeah, I mean, after that big play and, uh, you know, we had made the field goal going into overtime, you know what, we were like, hey, we, we, we just did something that shouldn't have happened. we got to finish it now. And so I really think the momentum kind of flipped on us there. And we had a lot of confidence going in on that first overtime, like, you know what, we're going to score right here. Like, this is going to be easy drive for us. We're going to score. So uh, that was when I felt like the momentum really, really switched with us. How would you rate your overall performance here tonight at Tennessee? Man, it was all right. Uh, I would have to go back and watch the tape. I know the guys around me balled out. Guys made some, you know, some heck of a play. like tons of good plays all over the place. Um, you know, I'm so proud of these guys, man. But I can't wait to go back and watch the film. Always, always stuff that I can improve on and things I can do better on. Okay, this is random, but i got to bring back something that happened in pregame. <laughs> I already know okay. <laughs> I'm standing here minding my own business. A ball comes flying in and takes out our lights, misses my head by this much. So I'm wondering, did I make Zach mad about something? What, what happened there? Well, I was looking over here, and I saw you, like, turn and, like, put your hands up, and I thought you wanted me to throw it to you. And then you turned away, and I was like, oh, my gosh, he's not even looking. And so I was like, I, I guess he didn't want me to throw it to him, so I don't know. <laughs> Sorry about that, man. I guess it's, it's my bad. Yeah. I'll, I'll catch it next time, all right? We, we'll do this, whether it's USC or Washington, whatever. On the, on the road, I'll make sure I can. You'll be ready next time. Ready. Cool. Zach, congratulations. Uh, I'm sure you feel like you aged a lot in this game. Um, but if there's one thing that you take away from this game, what is it? Yeah, just the, the, the fight that these guys have on our team, man. I mean, no one, no one gave up. And, you know, even when things weren't going our, well, going our way and we had some stalled drives, you know, everyone's on the sidelines smiling. And, and you know what? Hey, we're going to get it going, man. Like, there was, there was adversity, and, and the guys really were there to overcome it. And we, we knew what we were capable of. And I'm just proud of those guys from battling, battling through it all. Zach, congratulations, man. Appreciate you guys. Thank you. Zach Wilson, <laughs> following the Tennessee game. Your thumbs up, back to him. Okay, I see you. I see you. Both he and Jaron were just like unfazed, like, got to warm up. Got to yeah, warm up. Yeah, what? If you overthrow Jaron Hall, that's quite the overthrow. I'm just going to say that. <laughs>
this week's Deep Blue feature highlights a name all too familiar to Cougar fans, the Kafusis. Uh, you're probably pretty familiar with Bronson, Corbin, and Devin, who will miss the first half due to targeting last week. But their first cousins, Isaiah and Jackson Kafusi, have become a quality tandem at linebacker, and the two brothers are enjoying the journey. Family in Polynesian culture, it's huge. You know, they're very family-oriented and family-centered. For us, it was always, you know, family first and then sports. At the end of the day, you know, my dad would always call us together as a family, and we have kind of a mini family home evening. We say what we were grateful for. We always ended in a prayer. Jackson and Isaiah are similar in that they're really both dedicated to football, but their approaches are completely different. Isaiah has really started to become a great leader for our team and our program. His ability to lead and to help and, and care for others has been unbelievable. Isaiah is very vocal in the meeting room. He's vocal in the locker room, out on the practice field. He's the kind that if he has a bad practice or a bad game, I'll get a text or a phone call from him. He wants to know what he can do better. And he really wears his uh, emotions and how much he cares about football out there in the open for everybody to see. And now there is a player hurt for BYU, and that's Isaiah Kafusi. There was a play during the first half that I you know, kind of got rolled up on and my ankle, felt my ankle pop. Immediately your heart just starts pounding. My husband bolted and we knew he was heading straight for the locker room. You know, I knew that it was bad. You know, I couldn't really walk on it and I felt it was probably better for the team for me to sit out. I didn't want to be detrimental to what was going on. I felt like he was playing one of the best games he's ever played. So that was really hard to watch him go down. And then to, to lose the game was just like, it was just salt in the wound. I think it hit me pretty hard. A lot of guys just say, oh, that's just another loss. You know, it's like eight in a row. Who cares? You know, we keep losing. But for me, it, it was different. You know, it kind of had, had settled, you know, and, and the recovery process was long and hard, I think, because of that reason. It was really hard on him and hard on his wife. It brought our family closer together to be there to support him and show him that we were there for him and love him, help them in any way we could. Playing them the first game this year, it was, it's a lot more motivating. It helped motivate me to recover and, and kind of be the best that I could be, really. But, yeah, it was a rough, you know, rough offseason, I guess you could say. Isaiah Kafusi. And the Cougar defense turns New Mexico State away. Jackson has a, a much cooler demeanor. He is, he can come off at first uh, impression as if he doesn't care about, about sports and about football. But then he, he takes whatever his attitude is in the meeting room and it seems kind of disassociated. And then all of a sudden out on the field, he knows exactly what's going on. And I can tell that he's paid a lot of attention and he's, he's really serious about the way he does it too. I like to think of myself as... You know, kind of the more, like, humble, reserved, quiet. I want to try and lead by action kind of thing. I don't like to, to get hyped up and waste energy. I'd rather be focused and, and keep my mind clear so that I can react to things and so I can think of, you know, plays or situations in my head. One of my biggest dreams was to play together with my older brother. Once I saw that he was offered by BYU and he committed to BYU, you know, I was like, man, like, Utah, I thought that was our dream. I went on my mission, and, and that helped a lot because I wanted to, to be close with my Heavenly Father, and I wanted to just set myself up for the right path in life. And I think I caught the vision that my brother did. He always talked about 
you know, football's going to end someday. And to be able to have a family and, and get an education as good as BYU's and stay on the right path was a big thing for him. And I think it was a big thing for me as well once I caught that vision. It's just a one-stop shop for us down uh, watching games down at BYU. So we love it. So And it saves us gas. <laughs> <laughs> The brotherhood that they bring naturally has been awesome that they share it with the rest of the team. So it's made us a lot closer as a group. It's easy to see them connect with the rest of the teammates as, as brothers. It's pure, pure fun and joy to, to watch your kids have fun out there and enjoy something that they love to do. Football to the Kafusi family means you're representing a family that has a lot of heart, that loves everybody. It's much more than just football, it's, it's family, and I, I love that part of it. And so I'm, I'm really grateful for the opportunity that I've had to come to BYU. Very nice. Uh, Travis Moore and Alex Moore uh, putting that together. Uh, cool to see the relationship between those two. And uh, Jeff, their dad, you know, Ute, they grew up yeah. Utes, and uh, switched, joined the Cousins, and uh, last year you had... Uh, you know, four of them on the team. You have three of them on the team. Obviously, the Kafusi name, but this is this isn't uh, Mayor Kafusi's kids, right? This yeah, it's a different group of Kafusis, and both play a bunch. Isaiah, obviously, one of the leaders on the defense, and Jackson, uh, a rising star. Look, I've said multiple times, I think Isaiah Kafusi is the next great BYU linebacker. Mm-hmm. You know what? In uh, selfish uh, promotion here, you will hear from Isaiah Kafusi on Cougar pregame live. Yeah, I talked with him for uh, for our Shep Talk interview that will run during uh, pregame on the radio. Nice. That's so awesome. there we go. More Isaiah Kafusi for you coming up on Saturday. Very good. Uh, you can catch Deep Blue each week on Countdown to Kickoff and uh, sporadically throughout BYU Sports Nation in the season. Our question of the day, who or what has been the biggest surprise two games into the BYU football season and why? On Instagram, at Sammy Sosa 415 Not that Sammy, Sammy Sosa. Sammy Sosa's tweeting in? Are there 415 Sammy Sosas on Instagram? Micah Simon. I feel like he's becoming the go-to receiver. He certainly was against Tennessee. Um, can he keep it up? We, and on uh, third downs, as we talked about. And on third downs. <laughs> he has half of the passing first downs. Join the conversation 24-7 on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook using the hashtag BYUSN. The best of BYU Sports Nation rolls on after this. Get caught up in the week in Cougar Sports. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation. Joining us now... For a winning Monday, and specifically a Maddich Monday, as ESPN college football insider, expert, expert and analyst Trevor Maddich. Trevor, nice to have you on the program after a win. How about that? Wow. And I tell you, for that game, I thought we were going to have a, a, a dirge of misery on this call. But wow, what a, what a difference 64 yards down the right sideline makes. Man, I'm calling it the Rocky Top Revival featuring the Micah Miracle. What does that win for BYU mean? Uh. Well, I tell you, it validates all the hard work. It means they have momentum now heading into two more really tough games. It means that the pressure is off at least for a week, the players and the coaches, and it means that everybody, players, coaches, and fans, can enjoy football for at least a week. What was the play of the game for you? Well, the play of the game was the the Mike Miracle that you're talking about, the 64-yard <laughs> play. The thing is, the passing game had struggled. Everything had really struggled for much of the game. And all of a sudden, in the final minute, BYU needs a play, 
and Tennessee busts the coverage. Zach Wilson sees it, and he hits Simon down the right side. And, by the way, it was a good design because they put Matt Bushman in the slot and sent him vertical as well, and the defense thought that that's where the ball was going to go. And so I think that was where part of the confusion was, and that's one of the reasons Simon was able to break into the clear. But you've got to credit Zach Wilson for seeing it and hitting the right guy with a, with a good, accurate pass. And that play, that play, you know, it would have been better if he would have scored because it just would have been a, probably a better story. But it turned out that that play is what enabled all that followed to happen. With under 20 seconds to play, BYU had a 0.4% chance of winning according to ESPN's metrics. So where does the win against Tennessee rank among the list of unbelievable BYU football wins? Well, I don't know. You can go back to Tanner Mangum and uh, uh, the Nebraska Hail Mary, maybe. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, I mean it's, it's up there with that because the thing that makes it so emotionally satisfying is that it wasn't a game that BYU controlled the whole way. It wasn't even a fair fight, it seemed, the whole way. Tennessee kind of controlled that game. But in the end, out of the depths of despair came flocks of seagulls to eat the locusts. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a miracle of that magnitude, but it sure feels really good because there did not seem to be hope. BYU scored 16 points in regulation, so there was some concern offensively, right? 12 against Utah, one kind of after the game was out of hand down 30-6. to six. But when BYU ties the game with Jake Oldroyd, who, by the way, uses his pitching wedge and slides it inside the uprights, it looked like it was uh, he missed it, he makes it. All of a sudden, it felt like momentum turned in that moment, and then BYU scores two touchdowns in overtime to win. Did you feel like the Simon play changed the game in that regard, or did it take some execution in overtime? No, everything took execution. There, it wasn't just that. And by the way, on that on that PAT or on that field goal, um, and really a little bit of both, depending on the count. I think I think what what Oldroy did was before the game, he went out there and greased up that upright so that ball could <laughs> slide by it, man. Because it, I didn't feel like it was that close. Uh, but it was execution, and and one of the things that that dawned on me as the the just euphoria of the victory kind of started to subside a little bit was how BYU got relatively stronger late in the fourth quarter and then into, into overtime. Now, this is Tennessee, right? So you've still got some heat and humidity. It's a different climate from 4,000 feet high in the Mountain West. And you would think that the volunteers would have the edge as the game wore on. And if you're going into two overtimes, you'd think physically they were more accustomed to that environment than BYU would be. And yet when they got into those critical moments at the end of the fourth quarter and then in overtime, BYU was the one who rose up and relatively became stronger during that period. And I think the game-winning touchdown is a great example. I mean, they had it stacked up at about the two- or three-yard line, and it just became a fight. It was a fight. It was no longer football at that point. It was just who could push harder. And BYU pushed harder in the second overtime on the Tennessee Volunteers' home field in their home climate. And that is a testament, not just to the desire of the players, because these players always play hard. BYU always plays hard. But to their preparation and their conditioning, because no matter how much you want it, if you don't have enough left in the tank, you're not going to make a push like that. And BYU did. 
And so those are some things that really, really stood out. ESPN's Trevor Maddich with us on BYU Sports Nation, another Maddich Monday. So many storylines emerging from this game. The son of the SEC, Tyson Williams, returns to Neyland Stadium. He used to be at South Carolina and carries the Cougars to victory, over 90 yards rushing on 17 carries. People were clamoring for him to get more of the ball. Is this something that you expect to see, at least 20 touches a game for the rest of the season, Trevor? Absolutely. I mean, he had 17 carries, averaged five and a half yards per carry. And I think that and he had three catches, by the way. And that, to me, is, is even more interesting because teams will try to stack up the line because BYU's offensive line is one of the better groups in the country. They think they've got at least three guys that will end up in the NFL at some point. But teams can take that away if they stack it up. And the fact that they threw the ball to the running backs a little more here than they did against Utah, I think, was important. But Tyson Williams ran like an SEC running back. I mean, he stuck his nose in there and just powered through piles. He was not afraid of contact, not that anybody else is afraid, but, but he seemed to really relish slamming up into the teeth of an SEC defense and then driving the pile. And that attitude carries over to everybody else, you know, and it inspires everybody else. And so it's not just the yards that he got, it was the attitude that he spread. It's pretty awesome that Tyson Williams was the one to do it, too. The SEC guy who had been there, who had done that literally in that stadium. He sprints down and, and acknowledges his family and all the BYU fans. It was just such a cool moment. Who else aren't we talking about in terms of heroes and MVPs from that game, Trevor? You know, I, I go to the defensive side because the Tennessee offense did a lot of good things, but BYU's defense made enough plays to keep it in range for those things to happen in the fourth quarter to get it to overtime. And I think Kavika Fanua is a name that was mentioned a lot that made key plays, I mean key plays, third down plays where they complete a ball in the, in the flat. And he'd have to sprint over there and then execute and complete an open field tackle to keep the, the offense from uh, getting yards after the catch and then converting that first down. Fanua was fantastic. Isaiah Kafusi, you expect him to do it. He's a Kafusi. Kafusis are supposed to be supermen. Uh, but Isaiah Kafusi had a phenomenal, phenomenal game as well. And, you know, in the middle, we talk about Kairos Tonga a lot. And he's just a beast to try to move out of there. But what really impressed me, what, I looked at his stat line. He, he had four total tackles, including one solo tackle and a tackle for loss. The thing is, nose guards aren't supposed to make tackles. They're supposed to make piles. And the fact that he didn't just make piles, but he came off and finished plays as well, tells you that he had a dominating game also. So I think these guys on defense tend to get lost in the flash of some of the big offensive plays. But starting with Fanua and moving on to his teammates, boy, I tell you, it was a, it was a really gritty, gutty defensive performance. BYU National Champion, ESPN College Football Insider Trevor Maddich on BYU Sports Nation. I thought Georgia State was rock bottom for Tennessee, but I'm starting to wonder, Trevor, that it might not be. You live in Tennessee. You have a better idea than most. What did BYU's win collectively do to the volunteer fan base? Well, it took rock bottom and took a jackhammer to that bottom and sunk it deeper. They the fan base for Tennessee has been talking about Georgia State being one of the worst losses in, in their history. And then they thought they'd be able to whip BYU. And really, the fact that, that they were in control, even though the scoreboard didn't reflect it, physically they seemed to be in control for large stretches of that game. 
the fact that they let BYU hang around and then they snatched what Tennessee fans thought would be a comeback victory away from them in the second overtime by being more physical on the game-winning touchdown run, that, that was a, a really bad way for those Tennessee fans to have to see that game end. And I'll tell you, they, you know, BYU is a better team than I think Tennessee fans realize. Uh, but so this, we, as, as losses go, you know, th- this, this is a good BYU team. If Tennessee would have held on to win, it would have been a quality win by Tennessee. But I don't think their fans think that because, you know, they want Bama. They'll tell you, you know, until Bama <laughs> shows up and after about four minutes of the first quarter, then they don't want Bama anymore that year. But, you know, I think that Tennessee fans, man, they're just they're in a bad way right now. Now BYU plays USC on national TV, ABC, 330 Eastern, at home this Saturday. Keaton Slovis leading the country uh, after uh, a game and a half of play uh, when JT Daniels goes uh, off with the torn ACL. In completion percentage at 89%, which is crazy. USC is fast. They have great receivers. What do you think of the matchup with the Cougars and the Trojans this Saturday? This is a matchup that BYU needs to win old school. I mean, they have to go back to 1978, Michigan, Ohio State, three yards of a cloud of dust. Because the advantage that USC has had over the last several years when at times they've struggled in other ways has been their receivers. They've got tall, fast guys. I mean, I mean, four, three guys, four, four that are six, two to six, four and taller all over the field. And using the air raid offense with Graham Harrell now being the offensive coordinator, they maximize that advantage by getting all of those guys on the field at the same time. And so when you've got a true freshman quarterback that's able to maximize that and, and, and light up the Stanford defense and light up you know, defenses, BYU has to be ready to not just try to keep up with that, but to keep it off the field. Now, the advantage BYU has, I think, is that with their offensive line, the front seven of USC is not what it has been when USC has been their best. I mean, it's not that they're bad, they're okay, they're pretty good. This is a ranked team this year or this week. But I think that BYU is going to need to run the ball between the tackles a lot and gas that Trojan defense early so that they can take over in the second half and keep the keep those receivers on the sideline. Because if it becomes a track meet, I think USC would have the advantage. 24th-ranked USC in Provo this weekend. Trevor, it's great to catch up with you, man. We appreciate the insight, as always. All right, thanks, guys. The best of BYU Sports Nation will be back after this on BYU Radio. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation on BYU Radio. Kavika Fonua began his career in 2014. He went on a mission to Vancouver, Canada, then returned to BYU where he's had an injury-riddled career up to this point. Now he's switched to linebacker, and he has the only interception this season for the BYU defense. Here's Jason Shepard's one-on-one conversation with Kavika Fonua. All right, Kavika, uh, how did practice go today? I would imagine you get a nice little boost at practice the week after a, a big win like you guys had at Tennessee. I mean, yeah, we're all hyped up, like big Tennessee, SEC country, uh, big boys, and we're all excited for USC, so we're all pumped up for sure. I was talking with Isaiah Kafusi just a few moments ago, and one of the things that he brought up was there's still a little bit of, of anger and, and intensity at this week's practice because from a defensive standpoint, he said, you guys, even though you got the win and you're happy, you guys still don't feel like you played your best. I've got to imagine that that's nice to be able to still have that type of motivation after a win. I mean, yeah, we all came out not, not the best, 
in the in the first half and then like I even missed a, a tackle and just going off of that is like we want to always get better and not make those mistakes and we felt like we made a, a lot more mistakes than we should have and we can all like uh, get better from that so and we'll all rally for that so well let's all right let's let's talk about the the tip. See, now I know when, when I told you we were going to talk about this, you're like, oh, man, I don't know if I really want to talk about this. To that, man. So take me through the play. What happened from your point of view? Um, I was just reading the, the quarterback, and everybody was just crossing routes, and then I just happened to see where the, the quarterback was throwing, and I, I went to go for it, and then all of a sudden I didn't get a good hand on it, and I was like, and then I, it was like almost slow motion, like one of those plays but slow motion for the other team because they were catching it. So I was like, it was disappointing. But right after um, Coach Coach Kalani came up to me, he was like, hey, we got all, all so much time left. You, you got plenty of time to make another play and make up. And a couple other guys were saying, like, we got plenty of time to get another pick. So, I mean, it sucks to hand the ball over for a touchdown where it was one of their only touchdowns. But, I mean, I just got to learn from that and not make the uh, same mistake twice. Did the guys give you a hard time about it on the sideline? Oh, yeah, T- too much. I'm like, dude, you guys trying to help me or what? I, but ended up actually helping me and um, trying to get another pick. Well, and you were able to get that pick. So your your coach's words turned out to be prophetic that there's still opportunities to make plays. How, how big defensively was that play specifically? Not not just for you, but for the defense overall when you got the pick. Um. I don't know for the defense. We're already like starting to gain that momentum, so I feel like that was just a heck extra boost to help us confirm like we got this. And then it just was getting better for us throughout the whole entire game. Like it progressively, we were getting better and better until um, we made it, and um, and we made it to overtime. And we we like really felt like we were gonna win this game. So we were talking. Uh just a few minutes before and we were going over the positions that you've played and so out of high school you were recruited as a safety mm-hmm. you've played you've moved been moved over to the running back position now you're at the at the linebacker position what what has this journey been like for you at BYU um the journey is not what I expected and I mean the Lord has mysterious ways for us and and what we we should do but honestly it's it's been the best journey I've I've ever had and just through coaching the coaches switches and um position changes has honestly made me a better football player and understanding all around so how comfortable are you because you certainly look the part at linebacker uh I mean my girl always says are you nervous like you haven't played in two years (laughs) I'm like I think I'll be good like I've had enough time to watch football so i think it'll be good well and that's the other aspect to your story is you've had to deal with injuries first of all how are you health wise and and from a from a mental standpoint how much of a relief is it to be able to be out here playing oh it's the best feeling ever every every football player will say that like and uh coming off injuries um after the after the game i'm like wait i got no nothing everything's feeling good (laughs) Just bruises? All right, we're good. So that was a good feeling. Now you guys have the 24th-ranked team in the country, USC, one of the storied programs in, in college football. What do you think of when you think of the USC Trojans? 
Um, I just remember watching him as a little kid, always being good. And it's an opportunity and it's a, it's a pleasure to play play against them, always uh, always watching them. But um, really, it's just when I think of them, like they're just another team. So, well, and to be able to have, though, that team and an opportunity to have them on your field, you guys have got to be you know, salivating at the opportunity of what could be coming up on Saturday. Um, yeah, uh, basically you hit, hit it right on. It's We're all excited and, I mean, just another team. So, What have you guys seen from the film? This will be a little bit different. I know the last couple of weeks you guys really, you know, focused on stopping the run. With this USC team, they're going to throw the ball. They've got unbelievable receivers, a freshman quarterback that's, doing things that freshman quarterbacks aren't supposed to do, this will be a little bit different than what you've seen. What have you guys seen from them on the offensive side? Um, definitely we've, uh, all, we've seen a lot of running, like you said, and so we've seen uh, a lot of percentage of passing, and um, the, the quarterback's young, and we, we know he's young, and he could make mistakes, but he looks like good under pressure. But really, they they did really good against Stanford, and we're really, um, I would say, um, just really getting everything down on, like what we did on Tennessee. We're trying to uh, get away with those mistakes because all those uh, big runs were on us, on us. And it's like, if we could have been in the right place, we would have stopped them better. You know, who says? Who knows what, but that's just what we're going to do for a USC, just not make mistakes. So, From a position group specifically, how do you feel the linebackers have played? There's been some changes even over the first couple of weeks, and now Zane's back at, at safety, and Chaz Ayu's kind of taken over that spot, and you and Isaiah and Chaz and others. How, how would you evaluate how the linebackers have done? Um, I feel like we've done great for the the situation we've been in. Like All those changes, it's Everybody wants to be that one position and get better in, but honestly, it's helped us as a defense understanding the other positions and um, really uh, getting down in our in our our cues and positions and really helping us all around as linebackers. So I feel like it's helped a lot. What does it mean to you guys? One of the themes this year, and, and really we saw it last year, but Coach Satake's talked about you know this protecting Lavelle's house. What does it mean to you guys to protect Lavelle's house? Um, I, I know there's a lot of um, thing around the uh, stigma around like us doing good against uh, away games, and I want to say that's that's not our goal. That's not really what we really want to protect this house and what it stands for and the history behind it. And I know Kalani has a strong bond with Lavelle, and for us, it's. It's deep, and we want to really for this year protect this house and um, really want the wins come from come from here. So we've talked about a couple of different things in terms of this matchup with USC. In your mind, and, and what the coaches have been talking to you guys about, the number one thing you guys need to do on defense for success is what? I make mistakes, like I said. Um, we know we're good. We can get better at the run game. And other teams have been just so-so on the pass game. This, but this will really um, see who we are um, all around. So, yeah, it's uh, it's been a pleasure talking with you. Thanks for taking the time. Good luck on Saturday. Thank you.
Kavik Fono with Jason Shepard earlier this week uh, has the only takeaway for the BYU defense and could add two. How about that? And, and Coach Satake said, hey, put the tip out of your mind. Either there will be other opportunities for picks, and he got one. And he returned it 20 yards. That's always a key, too. Getting a takeaway is awesome, but the, the offense is not used to uh, defending a turnover, whereas the defense does practice advancing yes. a takeaway, right? So in that moment, BYU is able to get a short field. Tyson Williams, 16-yard touchdown. Boom, momentum switched, right? That was awesome. That wraps up the best of BYU Sports Nation this week. Tune in next Saturday for the Cougar news you need to hear. And catch the BYU Sports Nation simulcast every day at noon Eastern, 9 Pacific on BYU TV and BYU Radio. (laughs) 